0: if you're one of those organizations that think that backup targets are built only for large enterprises and you can't afford them this episode's for you we've got a great guest that has been building inexpensive and secure backup targets for small organizations in canada and i was really impressed with what he's been up to so i hope you enjoy the episode you could restore Hi and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All podcast. I'm your host W. Curtis Preston, aka Mister Backup, and I have with me my USB connection consultant Prasada How's it going, Prasada.
1: I'm good, Curtis. Um, It shouldn't be that difficult with USBs.
0: Come on, it shouldn't be, but and yet, and yet, you were able to, like, because it was like, why don't we connect the thing to the thing? But then, if the thing's connected to the thing, you get the thing, you get the problem, you get the. Maybe you um, should
1: tell the listeners kind of what you were struggling with.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I you know, it's funny. Is I, I, I recently downgraded my monitor. I, I, I say that because I, I had a very nice Apple display. Those of you, the Apple purists, are like, oh no, he got rid of his Apple display. It was a ten-year-old Apple display. And it was a really nice Apple display, but I got tired of converting everything. Right, <laughs> I, I have a, a more modern laptop, and so I was having to convert the Thunderbolt uh, DisplayPort thing, as well as also converting the power. Uh, it was the mag, the old MagSafe style Pro. power connector to to a USB C style power connector because I have the MacBook Pro now, and and that was always just a source of of. Dongles and dongles and more dongles. Way more dongles than I wanted to deal with. And now I have, I'm very happy to say I have a single dongle. um, Although because of various peripherals that have to do with this podcast, I have more peripherals that can be handled by said dongle. So there is technically a dongle off of the dongle. (laughs) There is is a a USB uh, hub. That, by the way, I I did figure this out, uh, persona. I I actually used some double sided tape to stick the the USB uh, hub to the back of my monitor.
1: Yeah, then it's out of the and way. So, you don't have to worry about it. You don't see it.
0: Exactly. But you you may recall the various generations of cable <laughs> mess that we went through trying to trying to get my. My desktop, too. And I think it's – my the only one that's not where I want it is the keyboard. I don't have a wireless keyboard. I have a USB keyboard. And the USB keyboard doesn't seem to want to plug into the USB hub that is plugged mm. into the USB dongle that is plugged into the USB port. <laughs> <board. laughs> it only wants to be plugged into the to the dongle. But so, you know, to just things. So, just so, so, hashtag so here's something. Problems.
1: So here's something. Yeah right what? um so now apple right or i should say the eu is trying to force everyone to use usb c as the standard yeah. right so soon i think in 2024 your iPhones will probably more than likely have usb c
0: right yeah which is good i mean but at this point i mean I, i'm almost always wirelessly charging those so that's yeah. not that's not as big of a deal but uh, and anybody all of and the other thing that happened is a complete office reorg. For those of you that for the for the thirteen of you that watch this via video, <laughs> yeah. um, you'll notice that this wall is no longer peach. This wall is is uh, agreeable gray. Is the is the <laughs> official color that we could all agree on. That's actually the name of the Sherwin Williams color that we chose. <laughs> uh, not a sponsor. Uh, <laughs> and, um, uh, so I paid uh, four painters uh for two and a half days that that's how long it took to paint uh my downstairs uh world but now we yeah, i was gonna say back. if
1: they spent two and a half days just painting your office good <laughs> lord
0: <laughs> good lord 19 <laughs> coats i don't know uh, they said they told me they told me that's what i needed i needed 19 coats and i believe them we should probably bring on our guests at this point and not bore people with my painting uh woes uh he has been in it for over 35 years currently focusing on infrastructure and data protection. Backup-wise, he goes all the way back to AIT, the Sony Drive. Uh, For those of you that might remember that, I'd love to hear about that a little bit. He is a Canadian living in France. Welcome to the podcast, Eric Abelson.
2: Hello there. Good to be here Mm -hmm. and uh, nice to meet both of you for the first time after many, many hours of podcast listening.
0: Long-time listener, first-time first Talker. time guest talk yeah. guest uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all, it's oh all, it's always nice to hear from a fan I, I think we we reached out to you because we saw and i don't remember where or how i saw it but um i see way too many things you wrote a a blog post which now i'm trying to pull it up in my, <laughs> in
1: my it's on the using my, as as a veeam hardened repository
0: yeah i I, I knew yeah. that was the the title so, but right. i was trying to pull up the <laughs> the page so that I could look at it and yeah. I've only got 37 tabs open on my browser. So, um, <laughs> and I think it's actually hosted
1: on your blog, right, Eric?
2: That's correct. Yes. Yeah. which is over at infrageeks.com. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, a cry of despair and, uh, <laughs> needing something to help people that are trying to do backups on a shoestring, because one of the problems I run into very frequently is a lot of clients. I mean, I've got big clients too, that will
0: happily throw lots of money at the problem
2: and I've got lots of other clients that are like, "Please, oh, please, oh, please! I have no money. What can I do?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. And so they, and so this idea of using the Synology box—that's definitely a more budget-friendly device. Would you agree?
2: Oh, completely. That's been my big problem is a lot of these companies, and like I deal with like small city halls in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. and they just don't have the budget. And for some strange reason, Synology manages to sell. A decent CPU with a reasonable amount of memory and a bunch of disks for considerably less than you would find the an equivalent server, even from the better players like Supermicro that are not as offensive about charging you three times the cost of the same commodity disk as everyone else because yeah. it's got their special firmware.
0: Right. I, I I've had experience with the Synology box as well. Here, actually, there's. There's one sitting behind me down on the floor. It's it's now a, it's now a, it's a deadology. Uh, but <laughs> that I, happens. I, I, I have, it, 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 for the record, it didn't die. I just uh, retired it. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the Synology. And what, so you, it, it can do both SMB and NFS as well as uh, iSCSI apparently.
2: That's correct. Well, the trick is that none of those are great, Protections if you want to use something with uh, Veeam's immutable repository, which is becoming a priority for all of my clients and anyone in the backup business.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and and you know what? Bef- before we jump in, and by the way, I, I'm glad to hear that, right? Because it, you know it's something as you know that we've been preaching from from this particular uh, pulpit, if you will. The, l- let's go back just a little bit. Uh, so you you just to talk about. Man, Sony AIT. I haven't heard that phrase (laughs) in a long time. Uh, Uh, This is this is mid like mid nineties, late nineties, right?
2: Yeah. Well, late nineties because the AIT one sucked, right? AIT two was actually pretty nice, but the golden solution was the AI two cat four tape uh, autoloader. Sorry, I'm going to switch into French there from time to time. I say (laughs) cat bande, maybe. So it's uh, I'll take your word for it. That's right. It was, it's, it was a four tape auto loader and it changed the equation for me because all of a sudden we could get something like, I think half a terabyte of compressed data over that into a tiny little box. Right. Right. And it worked with dance retrospect, which I was playing with at the time because I built a backup solution for my, my division working at Nortel and we were looking at the LTOs and it was like, yeah, okay. And then we looked at the AITs and it was like, Ooh, I can build a business out of this because if I lease these, (laughs) I can probably work out the economy the economies to go. Dartel will pay me X per machine backed up and we can lease these and the two CX uh, computers to drive it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. for, For those of you that were not aware of the AITs, they were, I'm pretty sure they're the last, they're the last helical scan drive that was manufactured for backup. Right. So, the pretty LTO much. and um you know the, the, the IBM drives and the, the the storage tech drives, those are all uh linear uh drives. We had um who was that persona that we had that
1: yeah, we had Mark Lance.
0: Yeah, and he actually gave us a technical reason why helical scan essentially went by the by. But AIT was the last of those by the so, way. Go ahead. You
1: should throw out our disclaimer.
0: Yeah, I I I have forgotten to throw out our disclaimer. Persona and I uh, work for different companies. He works for Zoom, I work for Druva. This is not a podcast of either company, and the opinions that you hear are ours. And also be sure to rate us at ratethispodcast.com/slash restore. And if you, like Eric, are a longtime listener and, you know, or if you just joined us and you're like, I know about this stuff and I'm interested in backup and archive and security and all of those things, and just reach out to me at WC Preston on Twitter. I take all DMs and or you can send uh, an email to WCurtisPreston at Gmail. So so let's move forward to why has it become such a demand from your customers to 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 secure their, their backup server.
2: Well, the biggest one, obviously, is you guys have been going on for a while, is we have to find the problem that people, and specifically, we're not dealing with the same kind of threats anymore. In the old days, your disaster recovery plan was all about the building blew up, uh, functionally in one way or another, that was the big disaster recovery plan. But it never included malicious intent where someone would go, ha-ha, not only am I gonna take out your production system, Because I want to make your life miserable, I'm also going to go looking for your backup system. And that has changed the entire equation around how we have to protect our data these days. And just as an anecdote, I I don't think I included that in my little note to you guys, but I spent about a year working with a company. I got called in after a massive ransomware attack to rebuild their backup infrastructure because it was a backup account that had admin rights everywhere that had been used to take everything out. And so, of oh. course, since they started with the backups and then they ransomware everything else, mm. uh, it took a year for several hundred sites for me to rebuild all of these branch offices all over the place. Some of them that were still using, believe it or not, the old tape rotation routine. And it was the secretary's responsibility to swap the tapes <laughs> out on Friday. And guess how often that happened? Yeah, well... <laughs> Ugh. So nowadays, the key thing is we need to find ways to, well, functionally air gap. I will not go into the the technical nitty gritty of it, but we need some way to say, the data I put here can't be modified. Now, one obvious way is we've seen the cloud is a great solution for that. Uh, You can use just about every backup tool out there has some means of sending off to an S3 with uh, the option to lock your objects so that they can't Mm -hmm. be modified, which is great. But there's a lot of companies that, uh, despite everything, that gets expensive over time. The more data you keep, if you have long-term data retention plans or policies, that gets expensive. And so they're looking for, how can I do this on-site on a shoestring? So the trick was coming up with, well, a lot of my customers are very, I'm right into the VMware world with Veeam as the, uh, the most predominant backup tool there. And they built this really nice immutable backup model as long as you do it right.
1: We actually had yeah. Dave on backup. Dave on the podcast a while ago talking about the immutable repositories mm-hmm. and things like that.
0: It, it does really stink that you know the, the the thing that you said that is absolutely the case that they're you know that they're coming for your backups and in many cases you know I was just looking at there's actually another tool uh, that we should probably talk about uh, which I don't I don't know if you're aware have you heard of uh, Blocky
2: Blocky that's blocky. New to
0: me. So, um, so this, you can, you can add this to your list. So it's, it's literally called blocky for Veeam. So it, it seems like it's a separate company, but it's, it looks like it's, and, and I know this, I'm going to literally tell you the entire thing that I know, right. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't researched it that much and we should probably have them on, but what it appears to be is a file system driver for windows. That locks the uh, either a, an NTFS or a, re, a ReFS file system from any rights except for Veeam,
2: ah, right? Interesting. Um,
0: and theoretically, it could be used for other applications and other backup applications. And I'm guessing that they will do that. But they saw Veeam as the you know the big one there, so they went after that. And so so essentially, it's a way to do what you're talking about doing on the Linux hardened repository, but. Doing it in Windows, so that's um, you know, that's actually again, not a sponsor. <laughs> but, no, no, no,
2: that's actually an interesting take because it's true that there's a lot of places where they're Windows shops, and bringing Linux is like one of these. Oh my God, this is a, this is one yeah. of those strange incantation things from uh, the, uh, the the IT gurus are doing things <laughs> I don't understand it, and I'm very very scared.
0: Yeah, what is a command line, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do but, I
1: secure just, it and all the rest? Right? It's like how, even managing uh, it. Uh,
0: how does that go over, like Eric? Because you've been dealing directly with these folks. How does that go over if they're if an all they're an all Windows shop and you're bringing in a Linux box just for this?
2: Surprisingly low friction lately. Uh, the two hmm. the, the two pressures are number one, oh my God, we need a solution. <laughs> right. <laughs> there, there, there's nothing like the, the fear of losing everything to uh, right. put. Uh, people into a more open mindset for that kind of stuff. And the second one, and this is one of the nice things I like about this Synology approach is Synology is an appliance. It's a box. You plug it in the network, you do whatever configuration need, needs doing, and then you basically forget about it. Mm-hmm. And that is actually what we're able to do with these companies that have limited budget you say, look, it's just a Synology. I'm going to take advantage of some of the native features to use it to install a virtual machine on the Synology, and that will be the only point of access to the storage on the system. So we actually cut off all access to the DSM and the administration stuff. So Mm -hmm. the only port that's listening on this box is the one from the virtual machine listening for Veeam. So when you get it there and you just go, it's a box, it's an appliance, you go in your Veeam console and you say, what's the state of my backups? And says, here's the state of your backups. And they're like, great, do I need to restore? Okay, you do a restore and everything works fine.
1: Treat it like a black box, right? They shouldn't care what's running in it, how it works, any of that stuff.
0: Exactly. So, well, let me let me ask you about that. Uh, you know, uh, push back just a little bit because it, it's not really a black box, right? <laughs> it, is, it is a Linux kernel that's running that needs to be administered and needs to be like there needs to be security patches and stuff put on it. How yeah. do you handle that if you're a, if you're an all Windows shop?
2: Well, again, one of the nice parts of Synology is that they have actually a really decent user interface that even a Windows person will go, oh, it's just a web interface for my appliance. And I go in and there's a little thing that says there's an upgrade to be installed. So I click on the upgrade button and it does its thing and I go for coffee and I come back and it's done. Um, So that aspect of it is actually fairly easy for most people. But it has to be, like I said, because what we do is in this design because the only thing I want actually on the network on a day-to-day basis is that Veeam repository. We mm-hmm. actually disconnect. And I tell them this, no, no, physically, seriously, unplug the management port of the server.
0: Because I remember, I remember you saying that uh, somewhere in the blog, that you said the one thing that you didn't like was you couldn't turn that port off. Right. There's going to be other
2: network interfaces because I separate the backup uh, flow on hopefully a 10 gig network and the admin flow just on a regular administrative VLAN somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I, a, since that time, and I have to update the blog article, I've discovered there are firewall rules that I could do to say, even if you come in through this interface Drop. and you use the DHCP MDNS so 169254, whatever type address, we can actually block access to that management. Oh, so you can. Okay. You, you can do Good. it. Yeah. That's uh, Okay. I have to go back and update.
0: <laughs> so why don't you walk us through, because there there were, so you, you talked about a couple of different things that you didn't do, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't do just an SMB. And by the way, thank you for saying SMB and not SIFS. Um,
2: <laughs> just, uh, I'm, I'm preaching to under the choir here. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, to all my net up uh, brethren, no, no, SIFS is in the documentation. It's in the screenshots, but it is SMB the protocol you're
0: actually using. <laughs> yeah, SMB, not SIFS. Um, we'll
1: Curtis's pet peeves. Yeah, uh, uh, well.
0: thank thank you very much for Stephen <laughs> Foskett for for hammering that into me. The um, and, and 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 why not use just SMB or NFS.
2: Well, the first problem with SMB is just, especially with Veeam, it's horribly inefficient. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just a catastrophe because when you're doing the way the incrementals work, there's commit stages where it's going to have to read a whole bunch of data and rewrite it back into big files. And you're just chewing up network bandwidth and disk IO left and right. It's just really inefficient. Aside from the fact that SMB is, I would not say horribly insecure, but (laughs) it's probably not the most secure protocol you have out there. And I don't recall that NFS is actually any better with Veeam from a practical standpoint, except that the only difference is you have to front it with a Linux machine anyway, so you're not gaining anything by using NFS in that context. Okay. So the key thing there was just say, get rid of all your NAS protocols, then you have the option, like you pointed out, there is iSCSI available on this thing. And what you I used to see people doing with this was they'd take their Synology box or their NAS box, whatever they had, and they'd say, present an iSCSI volume as a raw device map to a Linux virtual machine. And that will be my hardened repository. I will configure it properly and do all that stuff and we're good to go. The hiccup, as I've run into, is I had the pleasure of helping a client out of a ransomware attack over the holidays this year. And their attack vector... Was
1: not just the system layer, they actually attacked the ESX servers yep. directly. And there's a lot of zero days out there now coming out, right? Around against VMware. So. Yeah, most of it's against the desktop stuff. There's less on the, uh, the ESX. actual ESX level. But the problem
2: is, all it takes is someone that gets an admin account off one of those other systems, and that admin account is admin on your vCenter. And yep. then from there, you just turn on SSH in all the boxes. You go in and you run this little ransomware, <laughs> uh, well, not ransomware, the encryption tool. And what do they do? Well, they just look at all the available disks where all the right. VMs live.
0: So I, I don't think you mentioned when you said, when you said they build a, a, v, a Linux, I don't think you mentioned that it was a VM, but maybe no, you're you did. Right. Yep. No, uh, I, I so, didn't. so that's what you meant. You meant a Linux VM. And so then yep. it, it got attacked via ESI. So that's a bad idea. That's right. Um, trying to eliminate catch-22s, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, so
2: the other but... option is if you've got the money, you could just throw a physical box in front yeah. of your Synology and treat it as cheap storage. That works well,
1: but then these are probably shops which may not want to be managing a Linux box. And now you have a physical system. You got to procure during supply chain issues. What's the right equipment? All the rest of that, right?
2: Exactly. <laughs> Those are exactly the points that keep coming up. It's like, well, why am I throwing extra money to buy a network card and CPU and memory <laughs> when I just bought a box that has a network card and CPU and memory in it? That's yeah. kind of silly.
0: So I think the surprise and uh, the surprise for me was this idea that you could run the Linux on the Synology box itself. I think that yeah, was...
2: That was the one thing I discovered a few, I guess about a year ago, was that re, the the machines are getting more and more capable, mm-hmm. and they all basically, everybody everybody's a hypervisor now. I right. mean, if you're going to Linux... I'm a hypervisor. Run, they, I
0: mean, literally, that's right. just look at me. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> you've got the KVM, QMU, you've got everything you could possibly want on just about any OS... So the Synology said, well, we'll just put a nice pretty wrapper on it so that it's easy to approach and you can just deploy a VM inside there. And then it's like, oh, and it's inside the machine mm-hmm. and I can give it access to all the storage. And then I don't need the DSM other than just to do the basic configuration to sort of bootstrap myself to a point where I've got a Linux box talking to all my
0: storage. By the way, and, usually, by the way, Persona, I'm... The, you 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 didn't ask him what a DSM is. Normally, that's your job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what's a DSM, Eric? Oh, whoops. Yes.
2: acronym <laughs> City, we are always living in it, is the disk station manager, I think is the Synology term DSM. for it, which is basically their proprietary layer or interface layer on top of their Linux uh, kernel. So it's the web UI that drives all the stuff uh, when you're playing with Synology boxes.
1: Gotcha. And... It's kind of cool that they're giving you this capability. It's If I think about it, it's kind of like how for vCenter, right? You have your ESXi host, right? And then you're doing whatever you want. Now it's like, oh, here's storage. And now you can run some additional compute against it, right? And take advantage of it. The one question I would have, though, is in these environments where you're deploying Synology plus the Hardened repository together, I'm assuming you're only dedicating that for backup storage, correct? And you mm-hmm. don't necessarily want it for being used for primary NAS storage as well, right? No,
2: exactly. No, that's precisely the objective here is like, see, people are coming and going, I'm either, I, I need to revamp my backup storage. I need to do something. And the my objective in these cases is we'll buy you a box. It will do this. It will do nothing else but this. You can buy another Synology if you want to do file shares and all that other fun stuff, uh, which is fine but this box should live and breathe only your backup storage. Yeah. So the idea is it just cut off from the rest of the world. It does one thing and one thing only. It's the strange part is just the economics of it in that you can buy a Synology with 12 decent sized hard drives in it or 16 decent sized hard drives for considerably less than you can buy just about any off the shelf brand name server right now. <laughs> that's right. that's where the kicker comes in. <clears throat>
0: Especially Which is why a server with a bunch of storage.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. I oh, know it's still cheaper than a storage bay. Uh, I just did right. a couple of quotes the other day, and I was like, I want a storage bay with this kind of capacity, and they're like, Oh, that'll be forty thousand euros. And I said, <laughs> Okay, well, I want a server with the same amount of disks in it, and I'm going to throw TrueNAS or something on there just for something else. And they're like, Oh, well, that'll be fourteen thousand dollars, forty thousand euros. And I'm like. Um, OK, I know you've got dual controllers, but I could go to iX systems and probably get myself the same thing for the same price. So, yeah, it's there's some really strange economics that are in play as soon as you start talking to brand name uh, enterprise providers in the storage front. Interesting.
0: And and so I, I guess the the part I'm the part I'm not fully grasping and, and mainly, be, it, mainly it's because I didn't even know that Synology could do this. This VM, and again, I'm I just, I'm I'm going to mm-hmm. poke at you again just because I want to make sure <laughs> I understand what we're talking about here. Yeah. <clears throat> you talked about Synology's ability to update the kernel, or at least that's oh, what, okay. I, what I was understanding you. So, so d- 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 help me understand that. There is is this okay. Linux box not is the VM the kernel inside that VM, not something that will that will get out of date? Or is that something that the customer can manage without having to know too much about Linux?
2: That one actually does require a little bit more handholding and some documentation because there's two steps. Because if I do this properly, this machine is cut off from the network. And I have two things that I'm going to potentially need to upgrade. You're absolutely correct. I have to potentially upgrade the DSM. Although on the practical front, I'm not so much worried about the security problems on the Synology interface because most of the time it's disconnected. So it should be one of those things that they sort of, they get the mail from Synology going, woohoo, new update here. it's like, oh, okay, I better go connect my machine and do that update thing. On the Linux side, again, you're doing off the shelf, the most standard vanilla clean install you can possibly do. So the only thing we need to get the, in the documentation to say is if you're using an Ubuntu system, it's just to be going apt, get update, apt, get upgrade reboot and you're done yeah. so that should okay. be the sum total of the user's interaction with that side of things
1: what about okay. the beam specific pieces that
2: that's- is a little bit more complicated good call persona yeah. um,
0: but that's tri- sub- that's something you're only going to have to do once though right
2: until there's a Veeam update, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right.
0: because Veeam is actually fairly
2: finicky about the notion of different components in its system, not running exactly the same version. Mm-hmm. So what it's got is, I think what's called the data mover is what they install on the repository component. You're talking to it over the backup network. So it's already on the network. You don't need to touch the Synology layer at this point, but what you do need, because it's an immutable repository, and this applies to all the Linux hardened repository configurations is you need to go to the console, you need to enable SSH, then you go to the Veeam console and you say, do my update thing, use this account and password, but don't remember it, whatever you do. And that's one Mm -hmm. of the things that makes it a hardened repository is that Veeam has no trace and no memory of the accounts and the passwords that are used for connecting it. Because once they've done the first stage, basically what they do is a key exchange. So any other further communication is done over that s- certificate exchange uh, process to go, hi, I'm your Veeam server, and hi, I'm a, I'm a repository. Are you really the Veeam server? Okay, you've got the right key. Are you really the right repository? Yes, you've got the right key. We're, good, we're golden. No passwords were ever exchanged.
1: Gotcha. And so and the only st- time you need it is for the upgrade part where you need to enable SSH, you do the upgrade, which looks like it's automated from the Veeam side as long as you can yes. connect. And then once that update is done, then I'm guessing you go back and you disable SSH and you're all good to go.
2: That's right. So it's basically uh, there's a again. So I you're absolutely right. There's a few more commands. There's the app get update, upgrade, reboot, and then there's SSH. Oh no system control server. No system control start. I can't remember which one of the, the order of those ones. System control SSH start. Do your upgrade. System control SSH stop. That should do the job. And you're
0: doing this from the console that you're accessing via the the DSM.
2: That's correct. So you will have to plug it back into the network for those operations. Yeah, so
0: you plug that back. So you're, you you then load the DSM, which is over a, a browser, right? I'm going to access yep. this via a browser. That's right. <clears throat> so I got to plug in the management port, access DSM, look at the terminal, the console via that interface, turn on SSH do my update and then turn it off. So it's, yep. it's, it's not, it's not nothing, but it's not, no. it's not crazy either. Okay. No. And
2: it's the sort of thing that actually companies that like procedures, they like it because it's really straightforward. It's like, Oh, mm-hmm. you tell me I do this, 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 and I get the results I want. And they're like, Oh, I can follow procedures and I can give yeah. this to, you know, any of my Texas admins and they'll go, Oh yeah, I get it. No problem. It's like, I said, it's not rocket science. But it and is. And then
0: once, once you've done that, the protocol that is used to transfer backups to the Veeam hardened Linux repository is the Veeam protocols. It's not using NFS or SMB or anything like that.
2: Exactly. It's the Veeam Data Mover protocol. Right. Okay. Which is, up until now, has not been subject to any CVEs. So I'm just keeping my fingers crossed <laughs> that nobody starts attacking that one seriously.
0: On July 6th, 2022 <laughs> <laughs> as, as of this recording so what is uh,
2: hold on persona now it's my turn cv is common vulnerability something i don't remember what the last one is vulnerabilities
1: and exposures
2: and exposures okay so yes that, that was, that's a, mm. the nomenclature for security flaws that we have found and discovered and decided how bad they are <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry. You have this one Synology box, right, with your Beam-hardened backup repository for these customers on a shoestring budget. I know Mm -hmm. Curtis loves, I'm going to steal your line, Curtis. He loves a 3-2-1 rule. So what do you do with that backup once it lands on that immutable repository? Well,
2: there's basically the logical next step is to find some kind of S3 provider that will do immutable backups. Now, I've got a number of companies that for whatever reason the cloud stuff is just not an option. Uh, specifically government agencies. And here in France, it's actually very specific. It's not always to do with the security, it has a lot more to do with procurement processes.
1: <laughs> mm. Interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the 10 cent tour is that city halls, their taxes are split into two types, one which comes from property taxes, and I forget which the other one comes from. But these two tax streams are split into what they can spend on CapEx and OPEX. And the problem is the one that is for OPEX is just peanuts. So the problem mm. is they can't actually get, even if they find a right to, a way to buy it, they can't buy a lot of cloud services because they're considered, or sorry, they're considered operation expenses. So that they can buy hardware. That's not a problem, but they can't buy an ongoing service.
1: That's hilarious, hmm. actually. Yeah, it's like the yeah. exact opposite of what you see in the U.S.
2: Typically. Exactly. Everyone says, <laughs> oh, I just want to level my budget so it's always a continuous operating thing. But there's this right. strange tax, law, tax laws here that <laughs> make it that City Hall uh, has lots of money to spend on hardware, but they're not allowed to spend. Well, traditionally, it was to stop abuse of things like uh, having uh, people on salary that really weren't doing any work. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think it was really, it's really to keep a limit on the headcount and limit on those, th- anything that goes in that operations expense side of the house. But if you need to throw money at a solution, it has to be physical hardware. So what I've been doing, and I don't know if you've gone through the next step of my blog, which is, well, can I build myself my own S3 immutable uh, object storage system? And it turns out there's lots of good solutions that do that. Are I there, actually,
0: are there, Affordable ones to do that?
2: Oh, completely. The most affordable is the fact that uh, Min.io is available for free. They have an open source version, which does everything the main one does, but obviously no support. You can pay for support from them if you want that. But all it takes is, uh, and here we go back to a Linux box, (laughs) 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 or several Linux boxes, depending on how you want to roll the thing, uh, but yeah, you can use the MinIO solution and I've got actually, uh, well, I like to, pl- I like to tinker with hardware. This is the thing, everyone, cause it's a software is eating the world, but I like to play with hardware. So I do stupid things with hardware. <laughs> so I have a, a mobile NAS, um, which is basically a ninth generation Intel NUC that comes with Thunderbolt. And so with Thunderbolt, I can connect all sorts of daisy chain, strange disk systems on this. OWC makes some wonderful ones where I can get these little four uh, four bay, two and a half inch drive systems for my high performance SSDs and great big eight bay, uh, three and a half inch drives. And so I use this for a lot of clients that are looking for swing space. And so I said, oh, let's see how far I can push this with min.io. So currently, uh, I took that note uh, through a min.io instance on it and eight uh 12 terabyte hard drives and so i've got this uh 96 terabyte uh min instance hanging out for a client right now that's migrating a whole bunch of data
0: nice and these are the kind of things you got to do when you can't get mm-hmm. the cloud yeah <laughs> uh, yeah
2: yep. but it's fun and i had to 3d print a whole container to hold it all in <laughs> put you a 3, handle on you it 3d
0: printed <laughs> the container <laughs>
2: I will send you photos.
0: You weren't kidding when you when you said you like to tinkle with uh, the uh, tinker with the hardware. That's
2: oh no no funny. that's uh, it's lots of fun. Yeah.
1: So and actually but it comes in handy. Yeah. So speaking of Veeam and Object Store, I actually don't know if you heard, but the former Veeam founders they started their own company where they're building a S3 repository or an Object Store repository just for Veeam. Oh cool.
2: Well, there's a good business to be
1: had there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well as long so, as it's, it's cheap. Question than <laughs> whether or not it'll be, you know, in that affordable category that you're looking, for, you're looking for.
2: Yeah. 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 No, the, the big trick there is that let's face it, storage itself is cheap. And if you're not looking at high performance stuff, throwing eight, twelve, fourteen, sixteen terabyte drives into a system, that gets you a long way. <laughs> So it's uh, being able to throw a, you know, a reasonable amount of capex at it and the problem goes away for another five years. And the way MinIO works, you can swap those drives out and it'll auto rebuild and do all its fancy stuff. So assuming CMR discs with larger capacities still exist, because obviously throwing these SMR drives in these things is just catastrophe.
1: What are SMR and CMR? Yeah,
0: (laughs) Uh, and and, why? Or why? Explain what you just said.
2: I'll start with the first part because that's the easy one. The MinIO backend uses erasure coding to spread uh, parity across the disk, so it is a reliable system, and it goes fairly far in that front. Similar to ZFS, that it will actually go run down all the data that's stored and make sure that everybody is agree in agreement on the checksums and stuff like that. So it's in this particular context very close to zfs from a bit rot reliability standpoint
0: shingled magnetic recording this is the one that's basically made for for long-term storage right because you have to, yeah. it's got like multiple layers yeah um, there's
2: too many tracks it means like the tape drives there's too many tracks overlapping and close to each other right
1: right and so
0: cmr yeah, the, is
1: the old stuff right
2: the old stuff um it
1: is
2: Traditional no, traditional doesn't have a C in it.
1: I
0: think it's like conventional. Ah,
1: <laughs>
2: uh, convention. that may be it. probably
0: yeah yeah, yeah. conventional. Yeah, so with the sh- with the sh- the shingled mag, it's literally like layers on top of layers, and to and to to change a layer that's under it, I don't even I don't understand yeah. how it works at all. But it <laughs> it sounds like you would only use it if you're going to write and never modify, right? And, um, exactly, or hardly ever modify which is not a backup configuration.
2: Well, and the problem really is the software needs to be aware. I mean, it's like any modern storage bay that's built for SSDs. Like it's going to optimize for 4k writes. It's going to optimize for making erasure blocks in 4k chunks so that it uses the system the way it's meant to be used. And SMR is in the same kind of category that if your software knows that that's the underlying storage and is designed for it. Awesome. (laughs) I mean, that's amazon that's a uh, dropbox because uh, dropbox did a huge mm. investment in custom code to handle those kind of drives but for your average off-the-shelf enterprise software they're not
0: there yet <laughs> right right and so yeah so you want to use conventional drives not smr drives and yes. that is definitely a mistake that a that a budget conscious consumer or Can budget con- conscious Cons- business or government would do mm-hmm. right
2: uh, this well, I actually have one client that was caught up in the Western Digital fiasco that they were wondering why their system was their NAS was just a horrible performance, and it's because Western Digital at a moment sold a whole bunch of SMR drives with the same part number as what? the CMR drives.
0: <laughs> this was a mistake, uh, uh, or... this was this
2: was confusing for everybody, yeah. involved.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did, I mean, did they find out if this was intentional or not?
2: I don't know what the final upshot on the story is, but I do. All I know is that right now there are specific drive serial, not serial numbers, but actual model numbers. You go if you have one of these, take it
0: out and put a real disc in. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that so that's interesting. Um, we should probably get from you a couple of links of of the the object object projects that you yes. that you've been playing with. Yeah, the big ones I'm I'm aware of are the ones that are too expensive. Well, yeah,
2: I mean, there's the Dell ECS. There's the storage grid from NetApp. There's, uh, again, but as soon as we, as soon as I cite those names, all of a sudden, the uh, enterprise price tag just showed up. Yep. Yeah. And also the the biggest problem I have with a lot of them is just the minimum point of entry uh, because of the way they're designed. I think the smallest ECS instance they'll sell you is something like 60 terabytes, but it's got to be with three nodes. And those three nodes each have, you know, dual 10 or 25 gig. I mean, just the price just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I'm going, look, you can buy an Intel NUC with Thunderbolt and throw eight drives in the back of it and have a hundred terabytes of usable storage right away. Uh, And (laughs) that'll cost you. I don't know. I think it, well, the discs are expensive, but I don't think I paid more than about 4,000 euros for the whole kit. And it does the job.
0: (laughs) By the way, I, I, I just I just want to have a little fun with you. Um, I don't think we needed to tell people that you were Canadian because your accent, accent comes definitely through. Gives you, accent. <laughs> whatever you say about or or process or <laughs> yeah. o, OPEX. When you said, I've actually never heard anybody say OPEX before. Yeah, OPEX, just,
2: OPEX, tomato, uh, tomato. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: lo- I love my friends to the north. Um, <laughs> One concern that I have just slightly, it's just a a slight bone that I pick with the, with the (laughs) folks with the, you know, the hardened Linux repository. A lot of people call it immutable because they're using the immutable flag. And, and I like to point out that, well, as long as no one has root, right. Bingo. Um, Because you can unset all those immutable uh, flags, Right? Well, I,
2: I can do better than that. I can just go in and hose the drives and, themselves. Yeah. And just do <laughs> new,
0: <laughs> Yeah.
2: DD input file equals dev null. Uh, output file <laughs> equals slash SDA, SD1, SD2, go to town.
1: Please do not yeah, try that so it's on a lot easier. immutable
0: repositories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We will yeah, not be liable. Don't, don't <laughs> try this at to home. Eric. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it, it's... Uh, I just I just want to make that point. Uh and this is this is one of those differences between those enterprise level things, right? Is that they can produce an appliance that you don't have that kind of access to. Right. But I um I think though
1: for your point though, Curtis, I think with the proposal that Eric's recommending, right, the fact that your management port is disconnected, the fact that SSH is disconnected for all times other than the period when you have to do the updates. Right, at least reduces some amount of risk. It doesn't completely eliminate it, but yep. it does reduce it significantly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great design. It's as good as this design can get. I yep. guess uh, my only point is you're still not protected against uh, Eric going nuts. Yes. Right. Um, if, <laughs> <Yep>. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if Eric has root and he decides to wipe out your data, there's nothing that's going to stop him.
2: Exactly. Although, if we go to the logical extreme, which is physically disconnecting that cable for the management port, it means I need to have physical access. So that does. That is a good,
0: ha- that is a very good point, Eric. And of course, we all know that physical access, all bets are off. But tr- it any, trumps everything. It trumps yeah. everything. Um The, um, I mean, physical access, all I need is a torch. I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't need a password.
2: exactly i mean it doesn't have to be sophisticated a couple of wire bolt cutters and uh or just a big heavy uh, magnet and i just run that across all those hard drives and uh, yeah i mean another thing do not try that at home
1: uh,
0: yeah (laughs) sorry sorry
2: no that's i was gonna say who's who's uh yeah there's there's a a special person who loves thermite on his hard drives
0: (laughs) um yeah, that, um, that actually we, we've we've had a, a thermite lover on the podcast, um, Howard Marks. Yes, who that's works, what I was by the of. way at, at, at Vast Data, who one of the one of those places that have a way too big of a, you know that your the initial block that you have to buy is way too big for anything you're interested in. But yeah. I've seen him. He actually made a video where he got he got hired by a company to put thermite on some servers. Uh, to destroy them and have the whole H8 process kick in. And yeah, so,
2: yeah. No, I mean, again, if you're looking for lots of S3 storage, vast data will do the job. Um, My only issue is that I believe the current entry point is about a half a petabyte uh, sorry.
0: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Which is, I mean, well, I it is called fast have... data. It's not called yeah. slightly large data.
1: And I think that they might have recently just come out with smaller nodes, entry level nodes. He
0: he did say that. Yeah, right. Yeah. It might only be two hundred. Yeah, terabytes. it might
1: still be two hundred terabytes, which is probably
0: still way too large, right? But for 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 many environments, yeah, yeah. yes, probably, yeah. But well, uh...
2: I mean, that's the interesting part about the way the market's been going is that you've got this. I mean, the traditional thing is what's the backbone of most countries businesses, it's small business. Mm-hmm. And we've got all these companies spending tons and tons of time and money and effort on building solutions for the big enterprises. And the problem is what I'm seeing more and more is that the small enterprise or the poor guys that are getting the short end of the stick going, I mean, vast data, I would be first one to tell you, I've been talking to Mark, uh, I have seen the tech field I was present at some of the tech field day presentations. It's amazing technology. Yeah. It just doesn't scale yep. down. And the right. problem is that we have this huge mass of companies out there that are everything from mom and pop shops to even like a hundred person shop, but their total data footprint is measured in 10, 20, 30, 40 terabytes.
0: Yeah, I, I say it a lot that for every one enterprise that needs a vast data, there are ninety-nine um, you know, smaller companies that also have a need to protect their data. And, and, and I think that's one of the things I like about working about Druva is that we do mm-hmm. scale up, but we scale down all the way down, right? The only thing that limits us in a small small environment is just the, the business processes, right? So mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't sell direct to consumer. We don't sell to like a, a two-person business kind of thing, right, just because right. of the, the paperwork issues. But uh, te- technologically speaking, we can back up a single computer, right yeah. and we don't and we don't need that on premises hardware and all that so i like the way that we that we do scale down and and we we can handle those smbs just fine yeah.
2: um so that's always one of the things that like i said druva uh, has been one of those solutions on my radar but again like i explained with for a lot of these uh, city halls they just can't take advantage of that. Kind yeah, of that
0: yeah. that part of your conversation hurt hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> hurt that I was like, yeah. well, that explains why we're not big in France. I actually have no idea if we're big in France or not. But yeah, well, um, it,
2: it's not the same for regular co- companies. It's strictly a uh, city hall type business. Oh, uh-huh. it's a
0: city hall. Okay, okay. Yeah. So
2: it's a, it's at the city level that uh, those rules are in place. Interesting. Okay. All right.
0: Yeah. So probably we're doing just fine in France. I know yeah. that. Um, I know that we do we do deal with uh, data sovereignty problems really well because we we basically run in all of the you know the the AWS regions right so people that are concerned back in the day i remember you remember you know you were in the you were in canada when we came out with the patriot act in the us and that and that made <laughs> storing data in the us forbidden for anybody outside of the us right so yeah, we, we we don't we don't have that issue because we've got you know we're running in your local AWS um, yep.
2: region, yeah region data, so. data, data doesn't go across regions unless yeah, right. there's a BGP routing mishap but oh well what can you do
0: about <laughs> yeah. that yeah yeah don't don't do that <laughs> uh, any any final um, you know thoughts you have Eric on this uh, blog post or uh... you know. Just and general Veeam thoughts. backups to that in general? Well,
2: Veeam, Veeam has always been fun. Uh, I'm always on the lookout for new and interesting ways to, to do stuff. And as you guys have now motivated me, it's time for me to write up uh, some more detail on the MinIO TrueNAS because there's some new stuff on that front uh, for the S3 uh, backup repositories. And the one thing is once you get hooked on this idea of Protecting data is important. It never leaves you. I mean, it's been 30 plus years that uh, (laughs) I had my first, we put up a new server that everybody uh, thought was the greatest thing since sliced bread. It was a copy of what was called meeting manager at the time. And basically it was the precursor to outlook with shared calendars. Mm. And it was on a single machine and all the executives loved it. And every month in the monthly meeting, I came and said, we don't have a backup of this machine until the day the hard drive died. (laughs) <laughs> and then I got the budget to buy my tape drive. And ever since that time, it's been my hobby horse is looking around and going, is that protected? And that's now yeah. open up to the security aspect of things, but it's always like, is your data safe? And yeah, yeah once you get hooked, uh, you can't get rid of it.
0: <laughs> you've probably if you've listened to the podcast, you probably heard me say that we used to have this guy, his name was Joe Fitzpatrick, and he was always the guy. In the meeting, that he would raise his hand, he'd say, "Are we getting this on tape?" (laughs) Right. That was that was the phrase back in the day, right? Yeah. Um, And you know, that is one part that hasn't changed about backups since I joined the industry back in '93. Is that you know, no one wants to be the backup person. No one wants to pay for the backups. Uh, It's the last thing that anybody thinks about when they're deploying a new system. When in reality, it should be the first thing they think about. Right. If they start protecting it as the system is being developed in house, it'll just be automatically protected. I, I think about we, we used to we had um we had um a very boring naming convention back at MBNA, which is the bank that I worked at. It was um you had either had HPFS 01, right, HP file server 01 yes. or HPDB 01, right. And um I remember, and so what I started seeing was that. New systems were getting deployed and I, the person in charge of backups, wasn't being told that they existed. And so I created this form that you had to fill out. This is pre-web, right? So there was literally a physical form that you had to fill out. (laughs) And on the form, it said, this form is not complete until you have a signed copy back from me that acknowledges that I received the form. You can't just say, oh, I filled out the form, right? Because what <laughs> when I implemented this form was somebody asked me for a restore from HPDB SVK, right? HP database server K. And I, I, I this is the weird things that you remember. I remember that yep. it was K. And I go, so K, they are like, yeah, I've never heard of K. In fact, the last server I remember hearing about was H. So that means there's there's an I and a J and a K, none of which are being backed up. That was that was the day that I implemented that form, right? Because yeah. uh, people people just don't think about backups.
2: Yep. Nope. we do. We do all the time.
0: <laughs> you want us on that wall? You need us on that wall? I'm sorry. I I, <laughs> I uh, went with a few good men there for a second. Yep. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank thanks, yeah. Eric, so much for for coming on the podcast. A pleasure. And Prasanna, as always, great questions.
1: I try, I try, and thanks, Eric, and looking forward to seeing your uh, object store article, and maybe we can have you back on the podcast.
2: Sounds good,
0: absolutely, and uh, thanks again to our listeners. Um, you know, you're why we're here; otherwise, we're just a couple of folks talking to each other. <laughs>
1: I like talking to people,
0: <laughs> absolutely, and uh, be sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all.